Okay, welcome back for another episode of Echoes On Air With. Um, so I'm super excited. Well, On Air With is actually the, the new title of this particular series. And I am so excited to have uh, both of you guys, Billy and Monica, um, calling in, which is is also fun because you guys are in Houston and we're actually based yep. in Dallas. So um I am grateful that you guys took a moment to, to pop on and talk to us um, about what I think is an actually really um, important topic, but also very interesting um, from the standpoint of dance. Um, so thanks so much. Um, welcome to the show. Um, I, I kind of want to jump right in. Um, so for those that are listening, I had the pleasure of meeting Billy and Monica, oh, I guess it's like maybe two or three years ago in Colombia when you guys yep. came to do um, a workshop um, with mm -hmm. Kizomba. Um, yep. and so for those people who don't know what Kizomba is, can you tell us a little bit about the history of Kizomba? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, first, Kizomba is a word uh, from the language called Kimbundu, which is a Bantu dialect that's common in Angola and parts of, uh, you know, and Congo, uh, it means party. And it's, it's three things. It's an umbrella term that's basically used for all the dance and the music. It's a dance and music. And, uh, it comes from Angola. It's a partner dance and people often ask what it looks like. And the closest thing we usually say is it imagine two people hugging and then walking around. And that's kind of how it looks. Um, yeah, the, the music Kizomba as it is currently, uh, market has been around for a few decades and it's a derivative of Semba, which is actually the dance that we teach, but Kizomba is an interpretation and now also a marketing term. Uh, Semba has been around in its modern form since the fifties, sixties. So, uh, yeah. So in, in a nutshell, it's, it's a fun partner dance that anybody can dance from five to 105 and we think it's the best dance in the world and it's our mission to you know make it as common as hopscotch i like hopscotch it isn't that common anymore honey. Oh, or like i don't know like <laughs> i don't want to compare it directly like salsa ballroom because i think it can be even more popular because it's more it's it's easier for people you don't have to have like specialized physique or training to dance kizomba you just mm -hmm. have to be able to walk and that's, but it's hard to master. It, well, I was going to say, listen, you are making it sound super simple. And as someone who like <laughs> enjoys and has taken <laughs> classes, what it is not is super simple. Um, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> so how did you guys get involved with Kizomba or, or, or Semba or the dance, like dance in general? How did you guys get involved? Well, uh, I say this a lot, but my first teacher was Monica, and uh, I started dancing in 2012, and I had seen a couple of videos on YouTube, like, you know, like Sarah Lopez, <laughs> and I was like, oh, not going <laughs> to lie, I was, I was like, well, well, this is on, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to front, right? Um, and then when I saw it, I was like, oh, because I had just been Latin dancing for two months at the time. Mm -hmm. And I, between salsa and bachata, I like bachata more because you can hug more and I like to hug. And then when I saw Kizomba, 
I saw that it was a built-in hug dance. And I was like, wait, so I get to hug all night long and I don't have to, there's no problems. I don't have to be getting in fights with people for hugging <laughs> the girls. It's just, I could just go to dance and go home. And I was like, sign me up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It, it, like some people like make it the spiritual thing for me. I just like hugs and I thought it was a, a fun way to connect with people. So that's <laughs> kind of for me. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. I uh, sat in dance because I had been in residency training for emergency medicine. I was actually really depressed. And so I had a, uh, one of my attending instructors who was a competitive ballroom dancer. And he was like, you know, you need to give dance a try. You need a hobby. Um, and so I tried ballroom dancing. And I actually really liked it. But the problem is all the socials for ballroom dancing were during the day and I was in the hospital. So the only parties that were available after like 12 midnight when I got out of the, um, the hospital after a long day was salsa and the Latin parties in Los Angeles. So I got involved with that, finished residency and went to Houston for fellowship. And then I was, um, I was out in one of the socials and my previous partner needed someone to demo a dance called Kizomba um, with. And so he asked me to do it and um, I, I danced ballroom and I did salsa and stuff like that. And so I was like, okay, sure. Um, I'll, you just lead and I'll follow something or other. And um, after the demo, they asked if we could teach the dance. Mind you, I had been, uh, I think, I think maybe uh, a workshop, a few workshops in a, in a, in a salsa Congress. And at that time it was pretty much the same for my partner as well. And everyone in, Texas and a lot of people in America because Kizomba was so new. And so it was more of like the blind leading the blind that time. So when Billy says that I was his first instructor, <laughs> we kind of laughed because uh, <laughs> since, <laughs> since what I taught back then, um, we've had to modify greatly. And it um, has actually, uh, I guess, inspired us to teach the way we teach and do what we do because I don't want anyone going through what we had to go through to learn the dance properly, to learn how to teach it properly. Um, yeah, that was me in a nutshell. Cool. <laughs> and it's so, okay. So as you're talking, I'm hearing, so for those that are listening, I'm, I'm, um, I, I didn't actually preface this. So both Jack the Ghost, who is, of course, the person who does a lot of our sound, he's our uh, the co-producer and he's um, the sound engineer for the show, and my co-host are, are, are not here. So like I'm by myself flying solo, which is really weird for me. Um, but also right. where I am in the office, um, I'm like super close to a kitchen. So like if you hear dishes, it's not me just randomly doing dishes. Also, you'll probably never hear me doing dishes, but that's not the point. Um, so hopefully they can ignore, <laughs> ignore the sound of hey, that. Time so, is limited. <laughs> I got to tell you guys, um, when, so while I was living, so before I went to Colombia, I had actually heard of Kizomba and I had wanted to learn, this is before I realized it, it was a dance that actually came from Africa. I was thinking it was more of a Latin dance. And I thought, well, when I was in Colombia and I, you know, I moved there, I didn't have anybody, I didn't know anybody there. I didn't, you know, have a job. So I was like, well, I'm going to search for Kizomba. And that's when I found the group that you guys came um, to do the workshop for. Um, and that's how I got involved with them. And when my mom came to visit, I took her 
um, to one of the classes. And my mother watches the dance and she's like, you know, they look like they're about to be pregnant. Like y'all are like super close. Like what is happening? <laughs> um, and so um, a lot of people, of course, look at it. And, and, and as you mentioned, there are um, different types um, of, of dance, especially with Kizomba. There are different types of Kizomba even. Um, but a lot mm-hmm. of people look at it and they're, they're thinking, gosh, that, that's a super sexy dance. Um, mm-hmm. And I even saw, I think, on one of y'all's pages, um, there was a sign that said children were not to watch um kizomba or bachata or something um they weren't allowed to go in the room room, yeah Hmm. and and so so here's my my first question this is gonna take us kind of into um i guess uh kizomba and and maybe some of these latin dances and um our major topic which is about um sexual harassment within the dance uh community Mm um why do you think if if in fact, because I, I've I've seen enough bachata to know that mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's also right. a sexy dance. Um, but I've also right. seen salsa. I've also seen the tango. Why do you think kizomba mm-hmm. is is often um, the one that's kind of accused of that? I think mm. first of all, you have to understand kizomba itself is a family dance. Um, it's basically a folk dance from Angola where kids learn to dance it from their moms and their dads by, um, by standing on their feet and um, going through the moves and dancing with their family members. And so the fact that it, I guess I would say devolved to the point where you would have a sign at an, an event where kids are allowed in the salsa room, but the kids aren't allowed in the kizomba room uh, speaks speaks volumes in a negative way because that's not what the dance at its core is about and what it should be promoted as. But the problem is sex sells. And so Kizomba, if you actually look at how it's danced um, in its most, um, I guess, native form, there's really not so much to look at. And that's the whole point of the dance because you are supposed to feel how, I guess, feel the connection instead of, um, having people outwardly looking in and seeing flash and moves and stuff like that. But if that's the case and you're trying to market a dance that has very little flash at all, the more advanced you are, it seems like uh, we laugh. It looks like two old people walking around putting and hugging, um, but it's actually pretty hard to get advanced like that. You will probably substitute it with um, stuff that's flashy. And like I said, sex sells. And so, but a hot girl, you know, moving her butt suggestively um, and dancing, it, it'll just capture the attention way more than um, a dance where it would be it would be marketed as simple is better. I guess does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No, it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense, and that also kind of speaks to like what you're saying. If if in fact sex sells, then that also tells you the mindset of the people who are coming to these types of, of events and parties and learning how to do this type of dance. Um, and so if they're coming with the, the sex on the mind, if you will, um, mm-hmm. that, that kind of tells you where they are while they're dancing, um, yeah. which 
I, I am, I'm, you know, I only have been to a couple of events and I was very fortunate enough. Most of my, most of the time that I've been, um, has been in Colombia with people that I knew and I loved and I trusted. And, and those were the people that, that I was familiar with. Um, and so I've been very fortunate, um, to not, um, see, I guess that negative aspect, mm -hmm. but you guys have been in the community for a long time and you've been to several places and you've been to several communities around the world. Um, so I'm yep. sure you've seen a little bit, you, you have it from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me a little bit about, um, so I, I looked on, of course, I watched your video and so did Chris, who's not here. Um, but uh, we watched your, your video where you talked about a letter, and this is two years ago, if or maybe even three years ago, if I'm not mistaken, back in 2017, um, mm -hmm. where there was a letter, and Billy, you came mm -hmm. out very strong. Like this was like a good, solid, like hour of a of a conversation that you had with people on your page. Um, yeah. So talk a little bit about the letter um, and yeah. what moved you specifically to get on camera on your Facebook page and and take a stand. Okay. Um, well, first, I mean, you got to understand, when I got into teaching Kizomba, I didn't actually want to be a teacher at first. And no, I had to convince them like multiple times. <laughs> because one, I didn't feel like I was good enough. And two, I really, I just wanted to dance and be a part of a nice community of dancers. Because for me, um, you know, when I was going through things, I was going through like job stuff, relationship stuff, things like that. Dance became my my kind of escape, but not an escape like I'm trying to hide from reality, but something that added value and helped me get through some pretty dark times. Mm -hmm. So because of that, it has a special meaning to me. And I felt like, you know, my priority always has been community building. But the reason I got into teaching was because what I realized was as an instructor, one, it's going to make me a better dancer. And two, it'll give me a platform to be able to better do the community building efforts that I'd already been doing. And so community building has always been at the forefront of my mind. And so because of that, because I feel so protective of that, I've been very critical of anything that I feel will hurt the healthy growth of our community. And in the beginning, it was things like instructors who weren't taking the time to learn because there are a lot of YouTube trained instructors out there. And because Kizomba looks so simple, it's very easy to fake the funk, so to speak, mm -hmm. and do something that looks cool, but feels horrible. And so that, that happened a lot. And I ruffled feathers about that. But then I started hearing about this sexual misconduct. Now, for me, it was a surprise because I was, you know, in my own little bubble, you know, I didn't get into dance for that. I mean, I know, you know, consenting adults are going to meet and do what consenting adults do, but I didn't think it was so horrible and nasty because at the time I didn't really understand. And there, you know, I, I started hearing things a few years ago here and there as I started to become, you know, an organizer. And as we started to kind of build on platform, we started drawing negative attention from certain people in the community who were trying to, you know, hurt us and do all kind of stuff. And through this, through this process, I started learning more about some of the people who had been quote unquote leaders in the community. And uh, I started hearing whispers here and there of these people who I already knew to be not good people, but 
I'm starting to hear things like, you know, this person has raped this person, this person has tried to rape this person, this person is assaulting or trying to assault these people. And I start hearing things and I'm like, this is not good. But, you know, it was just whispers at that time. So there was little that I could really do. Then I, I saw this letter. And when I, when I read the letter, uh, at first I didn't know who it was. I found out pretty quickly, though. But I mean, the information in the letter pretty much points to the. Yeah, it's, if, if you know the Kizomba community and you kind of know the circumstances, it's pretty easy to figure out who it is. But, you know, I, when I when I read the letter, I was like, oh, crap, because I didn't know any of the details at the time. So when I read the, it was heartbreaking for me for two reasons. One, because on the personal level, you know, dance is something where it on one hand, it's a way to connect to, with people that you normally wouldn't get in your day to day life, which is a beautiful thing. I, you know, I wouldn't have met I probably wouldn't have met my wife if it wasn't for Kizomba, because, you know, we, we ran in different circles. So one, the dance community is an awesome place to connect with people, but that also makes it, you know, we have to be a bit more aware because it's a great opportunity to connect, but it also is an opportunity, an easier opportunity for predators to have access to, in this case, women who they usually wouldn't have access to, if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And so you know, that was one thing. The other thing was, as someone who is not only trying to build a community, but a real industry, any industry, you need standards. And if people in positions of leadership are taking advantage of students in this way and getting away with it, then nobody, like, why would people want to join the community, right? It's not like this doesn't happen in every community, but why would you join a community where there's even more chance of this kind of stuff happening because of the inherent nature of that connection. And so, you know, I, at that point, I realized that instructors who don't train is not the biggest threat right now. The biggest threat is a sexual misconduct. And you, you want to add something? Because I have more, but. Misconduct in general, in terms of like, a, the, pow like the power differential, I think. Right. Because as instructors or DJs. Um, or organizers, because most of them you can definitely get an inflated sense of self and mm -hmm. ego because in a lot of these events you're put on this like pedestal mm -hmm. and for us we we come from like we have other jobs and we have a life outside of dance and we appreciate dance but it's not all that we do and so it just baffles me that um that people treat these instructors and stuff and we're like by the way we're instructors billy's a dj we're both organizers so yeah. like like celebrities and worship the ground that they walk on because um we're providing a service right. the whole point is to teach people and um provide events where people can enjoy dance yeah. and so um I, I i just think the fact that they're abusing the privilege that is surprisingly given to them just makes me very very mad as well because um the the regular student doesn't really know any better Mm -hmm. And so um, it's it's an ultimate power play that it just really pissed me off when I read the letter um, because nobody would write a letter like that to try to get money from a dance instructor no, or something. No, none of us are making like, that kind of money. Like, <laughs> exactly. Not yet anyway. And so, so for us, you know, and 
given that we have background information, this letter is real. And the fact that she suffered that much for an activity that should have been um, something as a way to escape and to have fun, uh, just, it just pissed me off so much. And I'm, I'm very glad that Billy took a stand because um, at that time, like, nobody did. Like, well, yeah, some people did, but um, nobody took a stand like Billy did as a male dance instructor, um, basically saying that these seemingly, you know, it, it would make sense when you say rape is wrong. We're not saying we're going after, like, the rapist or something, but in general, do you have the balls to say that rape is wrong? Nobody, nobody, nobody yeah. came and, and stood by him. And, and I'm like, what, what, what is this crap? Yeah, and then to, to talk a little bit about that, because, oh. yeah, because there's a little bit of background here. One, one, uh, when the letter first came out, a lot of people were like, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. This is wrong. Once it became known who it was. Now, this person is someone, I can't name him, obviously, for legal reasons right, right. now, as much as I'd like to. Um, but the information is out there. But okay. someone who I had already had some head butts with in the past, because, again, you know, there are certain things that we stand for, honor, integrity, community, and this person actually stands for the exact opposite. So we've already had, you know, some bad blood in the past because of that. So this, to me, was just like, oh, my God, this is the worst. And so I, I took a very strong stance because I knew all the damage outside of this incident that had already been caused by this particular individual. But when, when people found out who it was, because this person at the time was an organizer of a major festival. And for a lot of people in these communities, their social lives start to revolve around these events. So they feel beholden in some sense. Sometimes it's because they're artists and they want to get booked or they hope to get booked or they want to have a relationship with this person or they're afraid to be on the bad side because they have influence in the community, right? And a lot of the times these people, these, these predators tend to be very manipulative and very nasty about going after people who don't do what they like, right? As we've experienced. Right. And, and so when I, when, I, when I started speaking out, you know, nobody else was willing to do so when people knew who it was. And it's for two reasons. One, some people were afraid, but also because you have to understand that in order to be a good predator, you have to be a good manipulator. If you're not a good manipulator, you're not going to be a good predator, right? So a lot of the times when you actually talk to these predators, they usually seem pretty harmless in person. Sometimes they're charming and good looking and attractive, but sometimes they're none of that. They're just not threatening, right? In this particular case, that it's more of a, you're not really a threatening person in person and you're good at lying and trying to, you know, it's kind of like, like say I'll disrespect you publicly and then I'll call you privately and say, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, you know, I, sometimes I just, you know, get my, put my foot in my mouth. I'm sorry, but I have respect for you to, they do it privately, but not publicly. Right. So these are some of the kind of things that happen. So when, when everybody found out who it was, nobody was willing to take a stand, especially people who were artists. Now for me, I didn't care about that because again, my, one, our platform is strong enough to where we're not dependent on organizers. Because understand, most of, these, most of these predators are organizers because organizers have the most influence, right? Because they're the ones who hire other artists. So mm -hmm. artists generally don't like to piss off any 
organizers because, you know, it affects their bread and butter. But our business, number one, our platform and our business is not built to be dependent on other organizers. Our business is dependent on community building. So we don't need we don't need anybody else as far as, yeah, we don't need to kiss ass in order to get hired because one, we're so good at what we do that we can have students come to us. And two, you know, it tends to kind of weed out the organizers who have no integrity and then we work with the few who do. So, you know, we, we do this for a reason so that we're in a position where we can speak out based on what's right and we don't have to worry about kowtowing or be afraid of rocking the boat. So I came out very strong for this reason because I realized at that point that this was the biggest thing that's stopping us from, you know, growing into a for real industry because you can't have people. It makes sense, right? Standards, right? Standards and like making sure that a dance space is safe so like students don't get raped or, you know, taken advantage of. It just kind of like in, in theory makes sense. It shouldn't be this difficult. I just, I'm just. And in the beginning, when I first started speaking out, because again, one of the manipulative tactics was, and it was mostly behind the scenes. They were, you know, the, the predator and their minions and, and, you know, friends, family, whatever, spouse, that information was in the letter. They are all going around saying, oh, you know, this is consensual, da, 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 da. But also things like, oh, Billy is just has a vendetta against this person because he doesn't like them, you know, that kind of thing, right? So if you're someone who doesn't really know me and you know this predator who's a really talented liar, well, I can understand why people might believe that, right? Because it's easy to believe bad things about someone you don't know, and it's mm -hmm. difficult to believe bad things about someone you do know or someone that you think you know, someone that you respect or someone who you want to have a relationship with. So I understand this. Now, of course, for us, now, three years later, we have a track record of operating with integrity, putting our money where our mouths is. And now it's kind of different because that tactic doesn't really work as well because we're known for our integrity now. So that all that creates kind of like a, a some cognitive dissonance in the people who three years ago. And here's the other thing. Three years ago, not only were people too afraid to even say something like, quote unquote, rape is wrong, because as soon as someone would say, come and say that, these predators and the minions would be in their inbox making threats. Oh, you're against me. Did it? And one of, one of the instructors who, who we know did this, and then the predator was in, in their inbox talking trash, right? Oh, it's a lie. Oh, you're against me. Did it? Did it? Right? And so people are afraid of that. And I get it because for us, we are instructors, we are public figures. We expect that we're going to have to deal with these public issues and these politics. But for most people who come to dance, they don't want to have to deal with this. And so I get why people can be afraid because, you know. Billy and I, we were, I mean, we were like attacked yeah. on, on social media. Like, like big time. And it, it's just, it's it, I, it just baffles me because if if you took a step back and asked people why they were attacking, they wouldn't even know, or they would be saying stuff that was so far from the the truth. Like we we don't respect African dance, but we're one of the biggest promoters of actually promoting the dance as an African dance. And it was like they were grabbing at straws, and nobody would take a step back and say, why am I doing this? It was, it was almost like a feeding frenzy. 
And, a lot, and, a, and interestingly, a lot of the people coming at me sideways were women, mm-hmm. which is especially sad because it's like, I'm, I'm, I, you know, the predator and the minions are saying I was trying to do this for fame or to build yes, relevance or whatever. Great being bad to become famous. That makes absolutely no sense. There's no such thing as rape fame when it comes to this kind of thing. In fact, not this made us less popular with most organizers because, as I said, most of the people who are predators are organizers, right? Yeah. Or they've enabled they've enabled people who have hurt people for their own selfish reasons. So again, this has lost us bookings, and that's why it's very interesting how people were talking that trash back then. Even women, because as a man who's in that position of privilege, I benefit zero from this. It, I'm not, you know, it's not men generally who were the ones getting raped in this, in this context with no recourse. It's women. I'm doing this to try to protect women. And a lot of the, some of the women were coming at me sideways. I was like, wow. It was, it was so interesting because before Billy took that, took that stand, he, we spoke because we knew what was going to happen and all the backlash that was going to happen. But for us, in terms of our morality and integrity, there was no other option. But reading the responses from the women, it was very odd because uh, from the women, some of them were like, you know, we don't need a white knight. Yeah. And I was like, so you don't need an ally. Okay. That makes absolutely no sense. And three years later, the same people are saying, why aren't men speaking out against this now? Mm-hmm. Now, now, you know, and, and what happened, it wasn't just that. It was also like literally people were trying to find something to tarnish our brand. People started making up lies about us, mischaracterizing things that we had said, started talking trash about our dance. And you got to understand sometimes pe- these people, when they're in these little cliques, it becomes kind of like a bubble and you become detached from reality. And sometimes people think if I, if we all talk enough trash on Facebook or social media about someone, it becomes reality for us, for us. No, because our platform is so strong that we're still here, but I can understand for a lot of people, they don't want to be the, the target of that kind of foolishness, which is also a reason why people don't come forward because these minions, and the predators and the minions are really nasty, making threats behind the scenes and bullying people into being silent. And a lot of people, you know, it, they're afraid of that. And, you know, I, I, at first I was really angry and maybe a little judgy on that because I was like, you know, this cowardice is only enabling the predators. But then I took a step back and I realized, you know, I understand that fear because most people who come to dance they don't come in the dance thinking, okay, I, I, I can't wait to get involved in politics and fighting. No, people <laughs> want to have fun and, and, you know, yeah, people do this because their lives are stressful and they just want to dance. The problem, though, is the people who've been raped, who've been assaulted, who've had to fight off predators or who were too scared to fight off predators and let things happen because they're afraid of getting seriously hurt even more, they, they wanted to dance, too. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, and that's why we created the Kizomba Unity Group, because we wanted to be able to talk about issues facing the community and kind of an in-house thing. Because sometimes, and we're also always cognizant of the image that Kizomba is getting outside. And sometimes when we talking about this stuff, the implication is that this is worse in Kizomba than it is in other spheres. And it's not. 
But because we are in the Kizomba community, we need to, we can, you know, have a greater impact in this sphere of influence because it's our sphere of influence. So it's kind of like, yeah, this hap is happening all over the world, but we can clear out our little corner of the world and clean the shit away. And then maybe that becomes an example to other people. And so all I was trying to do three years ago was get people to take a stand, not against one predator, but against rape and sexual assault in our community and the, the amount of people who are willing to take a stand with me was minimal like maybe a handful of people especially men they're quiet interestingly enough later there was some other sexual misconduct in other spheres that wasn't one of their friends or people that they wanted to have a relationship and a lot of these people who were dead silent then now want to beat their chest and act like they're advocates for women to this day People who want to act like right now, after Me Too, after it became popular, who want to act like they're advocates, but had nothing to say back then. And for me, if you only pick and choose when you take a stand, you're not taking a stand. Yeah. And so, you know, for us, we lost some supporters and we lost some friends because of this. But at the end of the day, now, especially with our baby coming, our daughter is going to be a part of this community. Our daughter is going to be coming to events with us. And one, I don't want people around who are predators. And I don't want people who are predator friendly or predator adjacent. If you know or think there's a, if you even think that something bad happened and you're willing to look the other way, I don't want you around our stuff because one, I don't want people who would harm anyone. And two, I don't want people who would look the other way if someone I care about, like my daughter was harmed, I wouldn't want her to be a part of a community where people are going to look the other way just because the perpetrator might hire them for an event or organizes an event that they like and have fun at, and they don't want anything to mess up their fun. I don't want people like that. So people, and interestingly enough, people thought that they could hurt us by not supporting us. And actuality, they helped us create the vibe that is unique to our events. Because we vibrate so strongly on a certain frequency, people who are predator-friendly, predator-adjacent, or toxic in other ways, they don't like being around us because of our energy, and so the energy of our events becomes good. And that's something that I want to kind of you know, make a point for people out there who are afraid to take a stand because you think you'll lose, quote-unquote, popularity. Popularity is, is a fiction. It's ephemeral. It, it's here today, gone tomorrow. And who do you want to be popular with? Right. Greatness is forever. Quality is forever. Integrity is forever. Popularity means nothing. Popularity is usually because you're, you've been inauthentic in some way, you, because you refuse to take a stand. As soon as you let your true color show, that popularity is gone, and then what do you have? But if you have a good product and you're working hard, you add value, then you don't have to, you don't have to, you know, play this game. You can do the right very, thing. Very freeing feeling to be able to act based on how you feel instead of the perception or thoughts of others and not have to go and tiptoe around. Right. And the lies that people tried spreading about us three years, now they're all looking really stupid now because one. Oh, I love seeing them in person. Yeah. And I'm, I'm probably going to see a few of them pretty soon, actually. <laughs> Because again, well, part of what we do is we try to support anybody out there who is throwing good events, even if these are people who have hated on us or tried to shit on us in the past, because somebody's got to set the example. But the interesting thing is the dissonance that people feel when they're around us, because 
everybody likes to think of themselves as good people, even if they don't do what good people do. But we actually do what good people do and have done so for years. So, you know, sooner or later, eventually, everybody out there who wants to think of themselves as a good person, they're going to have to confront their actual actions or inactions. And for us, you know, we're like a mirror. We force people to think about these things because for our community building efforts, if we can build a community that's actually predator free or, you know, free from the influence of predators, even if it's small today, it will grow and be sustainable because all the BS out there, all the stuff that has created rise to things like this 18 and up, this sexual view of Kizomba, we don't, we don't have any of that. All these people who are being choosy about who they dance with because of, you know, they only want to dance with people who they want to like do stuff with, not an issue in our sphere of influence. And so we've had to deal with a whole lot of BS, but in the end, it's made our platform and our business that much stronger because now we are known for our integrity and nobody can say anything, at least not publicly. Now people can only talk trash behind closed doors because doing it publicly only outs them as, well, ridiculous and probably a, a predator enabler. And that puts us in a very strong position. And that's why, you know, we started talking about this three years and we're still doing it now. I reshared the letter a week ago and I'm going to continue to put pressure on all the predators that I have permission because I have some information that I can't share. So I won't, I can't say things out of respect for victims and survivors. What I can do is share what I can share, put pressure on people who have harmed people and put pressure specifically on organizers who know about what's going on and hire these predators anyway. Because that's the thing. A lot of these, a lot of these organizers have no integrity, but what they do have is self-interest. And I, I may not be able to appeal to their integrity, but I can appeal to their pocketbook. And what I can do is put pressure. I also can't make people in the community do things they don't want to do. We're all adults, right? Look at the Epsteins, Weinsteins, R. Kellys, and all those people. Look how long they operated with people knowing what was going on. There are always going to be people out there who will put money into the pockets of bad people if they think it'll benefit them in some way. What I can do is identify people who care, arm them with the information that I can arm them with, and allow them to make educated choices. Now, does that necessarily mean these people are going to invest in us? No. But what it means is they're less likely to knowingly invest in bad people. And that's the least we can do. Now, some of those people will appreciate what we do and be drawn to us, which is great. But a lot of what we do, it doesn't directly benefit us, but it directly benefits the community. And that's the difference between opportunism and integrity. The fact that we have a code that isn't about our self-interest, that we stick to and we hold ourselves accountable. It makes our job a lot more difficult. But in the end, I can be comfortable having my daughter grow up as a part of our dance community and not have to worry about something happening to her. Right. And so for me, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. So all you, all, <laughs> ditto what he said. <laughs> so you've actually talked a little bit about, um, about rape culture, right? And, and, and a lot of mm -hmm. that really honestly mirrors um, culture just outside of the dance community as yep. well. But yep. um, Monica, you posted something on another group. Um, I think it was like a meme or something like that. But essentially it said um, that sexual predators 
don't just groom victims, they groom everyone around them. And I think that's something that you were kind of talking to, Billy, um, with uh, the manipulation. But can you, um, Monica, tell me a little bit more about what you think, like what were you meaning when you posted that? Was there something in particular you had in your mind? And what is it that as people in that community that we could maybe be aware of if we are in fact being groomed? Well, I think Billy basically touched on everything in terms of our experience as to why um, I posted it because, you know, when we were attacked, it was just the most oddest thing. And these people were basically being groomed to attack us for, 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 I guess, just to be bluntly, that's exactly it. But if you take a step back and you even ask them, because I actually called a few on the phone, and then when I called them out on the stuff that they were saying, they were like, well, (laughs) <laughs> the, the the de facto default answer is well I, I i like you but billy's just arrogant i'm like okay so we got uh from you're basically talking trash about stuff that's not true you won't apologize and the only thing that you got now is billy is arrogant okay so some master manipulator and like billy said these predators you have to be able to manipulate people um whether it's to rape them or to change their mindset about things because that 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 is that is almost like characteristic textbook mentality. Um, I think these people probably get off on on the high that they get by manipulating and um, subjugating people to be honest. And so that's why I posted it. You have to take a step back because it's not just one person that will allow someone to do these heinous acts. It's a community that also enables stuff too, or turns the blind eye. And you need to take a look at yourself um, and see: are you are you are you a part of the problem? And sometimes it's a hard truth because now, three years later, now after the Me Too movement's coming out, um, and and more more unfortunately more more um, more information has come out that it's not just one person that's raping and having predatory behavior in the community, but a few others that people are actually having to, you know, take a step back and think of what their role has been in the last three or four years. Um, This has been going on in the salsa community where um, recently a very well-known salsa team instructor was actually um, charged for, uh, for sexual assault and he's actually going to be going on trial. And a lot of organizers at the time, they, um, they, they had turned a blind eye. And one of them actually went live and talked about how her feelings were um, after the fact that, you know, now it's out that he's going uh, to go to jail and how, you know, she wished that she had acted sooner. And so these are things that all of us have to come to terms with. Like, what, what side do you want to be on? Do you want to, do you want to be on that side where maybe a few years down the road, you're going to have remorse at the things that you didn't do or did do to someone that was trying to do something. I don't know. But um, that's kind of the reason why I posted it because these predators don't exist in a vacuum. They, they groom their communities to, to, or minions, Billy likes to use the word minions. I think it's a great, great word because minions just do things blindly without understanding why or how or um, or question anything and in life I've just never wanted to be a minion because I would question everything 
and we even tell our students, you know, if if something that we say doesn't make sense, you need to ask why we're saying it. You need to ask when you learn from other instructors, why, 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 why? And if they can't come up with a good answer, then maybe something is wrong. Or if the answer doesn't make sense, maybe something's not right. So um, another thing I wanted to kind of talk to you about, ooh, that was loud. I'm going to wait until that stops. Or not, maybe, because it sounds like it's going to happen for a while. Um, Another thing I wanted to talk about um, that, like, it, it really actually hit me, Billy, in your in your video. Yeah. Sorry, I'm pausing so he can edit if he needs to. Um, another thing you talked about in your video was the difference um, in terms of race. You said usually um, it's it's white males who have the privilege, and you said it's very different in the dance world and. And it was something yeah. that I had actually never thought of. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, could you yeah. speak a and little bit to that? Because that's that's very different. I think, you know, a lot of the times, yeah. most people, and in all honesty, um, I was talking to a friend about this, and straight white men are kind of the the um, culprit in every story of minorities. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's very yeah different um, from what mm -hmm. you were saying and I right. thought it was very interesting so can you speak a little bit to that and also um, yeah. how could that help us in understanding for those of us who do want to go to the dance world understanding what that difference is right yeah and, it, and it's a very complex and nuanced issue because yeah in Kizomba because it's an African dance right the people who tend to have the most influence tend to be black men and especially African men on the Kizomba Semba side. And then the urban side, a lot of the big names are still black men of who are African or of the African diaspora. And, you know, um, you know, black men, we're considered to be the best dancers. So we're in demand We're you know, we, a lot of the ladies who are drawn to Kizomba are drawn because they like black men. So, this is like one of the only environments I've ever been in where we actually have some privilege. And depending on, you know, if you're on the quote unquote traditionalist side, the people who prefer Kizomba Samba, if you are African or Palop, which is the Portuguese speaking Africans or Angolan or Guinea-Bissau, Mozambique, you know, Cabo Verde, uh, Tomé Principe, people like that, there, there are, there's a lot of privilege involved in, in like, the 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 term culture is thrown out a lot and it's often used as kind of like a marketing thing and people will say culture so you know whatever i say listen because i'm of the culture even though a lot of these people didn't even dance kizomba before it got popular it's just they happen to have been born somewhere or be quote unquote of a culture and they use that and i called it in the video african privilege and this is where a lot of the people who had liked my videos when I was speaking out against cultural misappropriation and things like that. But when I started hitting at the people of the culture who were also part of the problem, that's when, you know, that is what kind of started a lot of the bad blood that ended up, you know, also kind of intersecting with this whole rape culture thing. So in, in this community, there are a lot of people, a lot of black men, particularly because it doesn't tend to kind of extend to the black women quite as much. Is yeah, that's a whole other thing. Topic. But um, yeah, because of that, there's a bit of privilege here. 
you know, if you're a black man, black man, you tend to be, people assume you can dance. And I, I learned this even in the Latin thing, because in the Latin dancing, the negritos also tend to sometimes be in demand because they'll think, you know, you can dance because you're black. And so this privilege conflicts with, you know, greater society in which black men, we are like low man on the totem pole. So that also becomes a part of the discussion too. Because what if, what if someone who has raped somebody is a black man, right? What if you were a black man? And we often hear stories about, you know, particularly white women falsely accusing black men of rape, right? Mm -hmm. that, is, that is a narrative that actually happens in our society. So that is also something that these predators will use. Oh, you know, this always happens. Black men are always being falsely accused. You got to stick with me and support me, right? And this is another one of the things that these manipulators, these manipulative predators have used that tact. And it resonates, especially like with people who, because think about it. If you're part of the Kizomba community, you're usually going to be someone who supports things like Black Lives Matter. You're going to like black people, or at least if, for the ladies, you're going to like black men, right? So you're going you're going to want to get along with and support them. And so that those two conflicting things. And so when me talking as a black man, I'm in the, the ultimate privilege. The only thing that will make me more privileged is if I was a Palop or African, right? So when I speak about these things, I know and understand that black men are sometimes falsely accused of rape. But for me, that's no that to me is not in this context that is not going to that's not i don't find that compelling because within the dance dynamic we are not we have privilege in the dance community that we don't have in the greater community and so you know this is not a situation of a black man being falsely accused by someone who has a greater position of power. These are people who have the ultimate position of power in this community abusing that position. And so, you know, that, that for me, I understand all the nuances. And that's why people who believe the narrative that these predators spread, I understand. Because again, especially again, if you are someone who people respect, you're not going to want to. One, you're going to look for any reason not to believe bad things, either because it's just the self-serving, I don't want to believe that I'm someone who could invest in bad people. I, I want to believe I'm a better judge of character, right? Imagine you had this, these predators in your home, or you're friends with them, or you've invested in them, or, you've, or you're a reason that they're successful. Or also, they never, they never give you a reason to think that they were shady, yeah. because... These people, they're not shady to everyone. No. Not everybody sees their true colors. That's also part of the manipulative tactic, and that's how you become a good predator. For us, the worst thing these predators could have done is show us who they really were. Because one of these predators, particularly the one in the letter, when I first was, you know, I introduced this individual, I thought he was an okay guy. Bit of a jerk, but cool and trying to, you know, do the right thing, like me. Thought it was like me. In fact, he was the opposite of me. But once I realized that, then and we only realized it when we started 
coming into our own in terms of um, talent. Yeah. And when people, these people, because again, this is like fear and insecurity and selfishness. When people feel threatened, they want to try to nip you in the bud before you become a threat to their interests. And we happen to become a threat to a lot of people's interests because of what we stand for. The standards that we're trying to set, few people right now are actually anywhere near meeting. And I'm not talking about just like training us, but I'm talking about our behavior and our professionalism and the way we interact off the dance floor too. We've built a community where everybody dances. You know, we built a community where predators have no influence. Not many people can say that. In fact, very few people can say that. And so, of course, you know, if you don't care about the community, but only about yourself, you're going to feel threatened by us. And that's also why it's so, it was so easy for a lot of these people who are resentful of us to want to believe these lies about us because it, it fits their personal narrative and it helps them deal with the cognitive dissonance. When you envy someone or feel threatened by someone, you want to believe something bad about them. But when someone who you want to believe in or someone who has bribed you, because again, that's another big part. If you are an organizer, you can go to these other artists and people like that and say, hey, I'm going to hire you. This, this, one of the predators did that to us to try to mollify us. Oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, I'm going to bring you to an event real soon. You know, for us, that doesn't really matter as much because, again, our platform is so strong that we can have students come to us because we're good at what we do. But for a lot of people who either don't have the platform we have or don't have as much confidence in their platform the way we do, that kind of thing. It's, it's very compelling for a lot of people. I mean, the easiest way to influence someone is to appeal to their self-interest. And a manipulator knows this very well. And as a leader, as a community builder, I have to understand these, this psychological kind of stuff because I have to kind of be in the same arena as these predators. It's just I don't use what I know to manipulate people into something that's bad. I simply do what I can to spread awareness, and I set an example. That is a way of influencing people, absolutely. I try, to, I try to build my own influence, but our influence is about community building and not just building up our own platform. So, you know, understanding how talented these, these predators are at manipulation, you know, you, won't, you wouldn't know unless they slip up and show you who you are or they, who they are or somebody who knows who they are tells you and is able to get through to you. And it's not always easy. And that's why, you know, I switched tacks from um, to just more spreading awareness and then protecting our community because our sphere of influence doesn't extend everywhere. But if we can get a couple people on, you know, on the outskirts of our sphere of influence, then our sphere grows in that way. But you can't make people do something they don't want to do. All you can do is give them information and hope that they will do the right thing with that information. And it's, you know, it's a very, it's, it's, it's not fun sometimes when you, you, it's like, you know, people are investing in bad people, but there's little that you can do about it outside of spreading awareness. And, you know, again, I, I had to learn that three years ago when literally women were attacking me because I was trying to protect them. And so, and even women who had been the, you know, the target of abuse before, who'd been abused, who were attacking me when I was one of the only men with a platform using my platform to advocate for them. That's when I realized that in some of these cliques, 
these minions have drunk the Kool-Aid so deep that there's nothing I can do or say to convince them. What I can do is reach the people who are, who are of a mind to appreciate what I'm trying to do. And then we just build and support, build with and support them. That's all we can do. But eventually, eventually, as our community grows and you see that all the BS and toxicity that's plaguing the greater community is not an issue in our sphere of influence, people are going to step back and look and realize, hmm, why is it that they, have, they don't have to deal with these things we have to deal with? And then people who actually want to be a part of a predator-free community will be drawn to us. And that's kind of, the, you know, we have to play the long game. We have to think about five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, because that's how we operate these days. So is there a flip side to this? Like, uh, have there been complaints about or against women? Because my, my other thought would be for um, a lot of people who are defending, it is mm-hmm. very possible that they've been manipulated, but it also is very po- possible that they're trying to protect you know, that kind of rape culture society for the, for yeah. themselves, for them yep. to be able to perpetrate um, the same, the yeah. same actions. So have you heard that? Well, I, I can tell you that a lot of the people who are friends with and enable these predators are also predators too. And the reason that a lot of people don't speak out is because they have skeletons in their own closets and they don't want to draw attention to the stuff they've done. Maybe not rape, but other stuff that's not so, you know, because cancel culture is real. And sometimes, you know, people will use this and it's, it's possible to use like these kind of movements to kind of take shots at people. Now, as far as women, um, I haven't, nobody's come to me with a story about women uh, like raping anybody. I do know that, you know, women sometimes touch men inappropriately too. Absolutely. But for me, my focus is, is not on that because generally speaking, the, the people who are being hurt here and have no recourse tend to be women. In this, in this environment, just like in Black Lives Matter, you know, if, if a white person speaks out on behalf of Black Lives Matter, it's going to be more, uh, it's going to be more compelling to people because they don't have quote-unquote skin in the game. And that is why I speak out on this particular issue, because I'm in the position of privilege in this particular aspect. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely possible that women are out here, especially like if they're organizers and they're, yeah, I'm I'm sure it's possible. I haven't heard any stories of it. And if there were, I mean, of course, sometimes when men are abused, they're like so ashamed to say anything because, you know, you know, it's like, well, like you know, you wanted it or like, why would you complain about, you know, like women who abuse kids and they're, you know, the teenagers and, and, you know, they're like, well, well, that's not abuse. You know, you know, every teenager would love to hook up with an older lady, you know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. So yeah, I'm sure that that's happened out there, but the truth is most of the people in positions of influence in this aspect are men. And then the few women who are in positions of influence who are organizers, and there are a lot of lady organizers who do wield influence in that way, but a lot of them also have been afraid because they're afraid of losing support. And it happened in the Latin, the Latin dance. A lady went live to talk about some stuff that happened like six years ago, and she's an organizer, but she was afraid of backlash. So in this context, I think men have a lot more power than women do. And maybe that's just because um, 
the, the, the social dance world has often been very patriarchal. And so, yeah. So, so yeah, while it definitely has happened in my experience, I haven't had a lot of stories of that personally, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's happened. So I think, I think what's also interesting um, about everything that you've talked about is um, the dance community is, is just a, a sub community, right. Of, of our yep. community at large. Um, Absolutely. And so um, last question I really want to ask you guys, because I think, well, first of all, you're the community I would uh, want to be in anyway. Right. Which I mean, yes. obviously you guys are really cool people anyway. And I, and of course I can see that and we can see that even, on your Facebook presence, that you're you're both very genuine people, um, whether it's about dance or or anything else that you guys um, post and, and talk about. Um, but I kind of want to talk about, or I want you to talk about what you think um, your community, the good that you've done, and and really how they've kind of mm-hmm. pruned your community for you by kind right. of. Um, um, speaking out against you and you're like, great, then I know that I don't want you at my party and I don't want you to come to my party. Right. So I want, I want you to kind of talk about how listeners who may not show up for a Kizomba class or a Simba class or someone who's not necessarily um, interested in dance, but how they can Mm -hmm. take the the lessons that you've learned about building your community um, and about Mm -hmm. holding people accountable and about taking a stand. What are the lessons that you've learned within your community that you think people can apply to our community as at at large? Right. The first thing, um, the first thing is, this and this kind of become one of our little hashtags, I guess. Quality, integrity, inclusion, fun. Because we have those four things associated with our brand, people out there can't really hurt us. When your platform, when your product is of sufficient quality, the only thing is making sure to get that product in front of people and giving them a chance to experience it for themselves. When you have that, people can talk all the shit about you they want, but sooner or later, they're going to come across your product, and if they find value in it, they're not only going to want to buy into it, but they're going to start looking at the people who've tried to shit on you sideways because they're going to start losing trust. It is a long-term thing, but when you focus on quality and adding value first and foremost, nobody can really hurt you or hinder you but you. But even if you're not, you know, offering a product or something like that, I would also add, don't be afraid to stand on your own and stand up for what you believe in because the people that weren't supposed to be around you will fall by your wayside Mm -hmm. and it actually makes things easier because you don't want to be dragging around, um, for lack of a better way to say it, dead weight Mm -hmm. or, or people or things that will hinder you from where you want to see yourself or goals that you want to achieve. And it's usually these types of people that they're, they're not there for you to, to, to see you in. Most of these people, we, we call it like a crabs in a barrel syndrome where they'll be your friend if you're on the same level. But the minute that you try to rise, the minute that you try to be someone else, maybe your authentic self, then you try to get 
they basically try to bring you down. And do you really want to be associated with people like that? Sometimes it's better to have um, less people initially um, in your circle that want to actually see you win and align with who you are and what you believe in rather than a bunch of people that basically you're trying to please and are dragging you down. When you focus on quality, quantity, when it comes, it'll be sustainable. Mm -hmm. When you focus on quantity, it's not sustainable. And for a lot of people, especially when it comes to like events and things like that, a big part of how dancers market is, look at all the people we have. But right. half of the tickets were not sold. They were right. free. Because of this, yeah, behind, yeah, under the surface, you see people giving out a bunch of free passes. You see a bunch of stuff going on. It's easy to get, it's easy to be popular when it's free. But when you actually have to invest, that's a whole different story. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you focus on that quality first, and that also comes down to being authentic. When you are authentic, you know that the people who are drawn to you are being drawn to you. And it's a lot it's a lot more relaxing because you don't have to spend or waste energy keeping up the charade. Mm -hmm. For us, we vibrate very strongly. And I don't try to appease people, excuse me, who are on BS or don't support our vision. I don't want I don't I don't care if you like me. I don't care if you don't want to be around me because ultimately you're not helping us build our vision. Now, once we get to certain critical mass, right? then even people who don't support our vision are going to want to be around because it's the popular thing. But then those people won't be the core of what we're building. And that's the beauty. When you build something that's authentic, when people don't vibe with you and come, they stick out like a sore thumb. They either will fix their energy to vibe with you or to leave. And that is a beautiful thing. And that is why we are able to do what we do and have the vibe we have at our events because we vibrated so strongly. So I guess, yeah, like what Monica was saying, when you are authentic, now that doesn't mean if you're a jerk. Yeah, don't, if you're a douchebag, that's not being authentic. That's just being a douchebag. <laughs> but if you're, and I, you know, because a lot of people out there, like quote unquote savages, oh, I'm just a savage, you know, I keep it real. No, you're not a savage. You're just a loser. You're a jerk. And that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being true to who you are, meaning like what, what you stand for, things like that. It's, it's just a better way to live because you don't need to be popular with anyone. Look at all the great people who've done anything, even like my hero, Barack Obama, who by all accounts is a good man, a family man, no drama, no scandal, happy relationship, good father, good husband, good person. But there are people out here who hate his guts and he's done nothing to them, right? And I, I'm not to compare myself to him, but he's one of my role models. So I do in a lot of ways, you know, compare myself to him in that aspect. And we do have a lot in common, but you know, anyway, the point is it doesn't matter, you know, how good you are, what you do. You're not going to be popular with everyone unless you're fake. And it's just too much energy having to constantly put on that mask and keep it painted or keep the mask on. Just be yourself. There's power in that. And anyone who's ever done anything worth doing in this world, none of them have been popular with everyone, with the exception of maybe Mr. Rogers. And I'm sure Mr. Rogers had his haters, too. People who also had children shows, you know. 
And I mean, you know, and I'm trying, like, that's my closest example to somebody who was universally popular, and even there are people who didn't like him. So, you know, I mean, hell. And those people, people are weird, let's be honest, because who doesn't like exactly. Mr. Rogers? Exactly. Who does he think he is being all good and kind and stuff? <laughs> who does he think he is having black people on the show and showing integration, putting your feet in the pool together? Who do you think you are, you know? Because he did that during, you know, you know, yeah, kind of flouting the separate but equal thing, having taking a little foot bath with the black mailman. Like he did things for a reason. So again, it doesn't matter how good you are, what you're, you know, what you're doing. There are always going to be people who don't like you. And the last thing I guess is, don't focus your energy because this is something that I've dealt with because we've been disrespected so much. Like, like sometimes that toxicity starts to get to you, and it started making me a bit combative. And, uh, you know, you can't, you can't spend all your energy on your haters and people who don't support you. You can't spend energy being angry, you know, with people who have tried try to hurt you or try to tank you. Because ultimately, people who spend most of the time trying to hurt other people are not happy. They're not, you know, their energy is jacked up. And when you allow, when you allow yourself to kind of like vibrate in frequency with them, to resonate with them, now you start to have toxic energy too. Better to focus on what you're building, focus on what you stand for, and focus on the people who do support you, who do show love to you, and build with them and invest in them and support them. That's what, that's what we do. And because of that, the community that we're building is, again, very unique and it's very nice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the harmony that we talk about in Kizoma Harmony, people would sometimes make jokes like, oh, yeah, you're, you're Kizoma Disharmony because we often find ourselves at odds with some people. But those people that we find ourselves at odds with are on some BS. They're, all, they're, they're completely toxic or they've been influenced by the toxic. But within our community, it's very nice. And even if you're not a part of our community, but you come to our stuff, the vibe is nice. And you're immediately welcome. Like, there's no clickishness. So at the end of the day, when you, when you stand up for something, when you focus on quality, when you focus on authenticity, and you focus on the people who show you love and who build with you, then nobody can hurt you but you. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and that, I think for me that that's that's something that I remind myself of every day when I fall short and allow toxic energy to get to me over much. I'm like, I'm all the energy and time I spend on people who don't support us is time I could be spending on building our business and investing in the people who do support us. And that's that's probably the biggest takeaway of this. Nobody can hurt you, but you when you cross your eyes, dot your T's, handle your business, and stay focused. So I, I have to tell you, I, I, I actually thought I knew coming into this interview, like I thought I knew some of your answers because I've, of course, watched all your videos and I've, I've talked to you a lot, Monica. So I thought I knew, but I feel like I learned so much. Um, and it is a very <laughs> interesting uh, mind blown on some of the things that you've talked about. Um, but thank you so much for taking a moment to talk to me um, and, and our Echoes family about this. I think it's, it's an important topic 
um, and I am grateful for the time uh, that you spent with us. Um, really quickly, tell people, uh, for people who are in Houston listening, tell people how they can find you um, and oh. when you guys teach. Yeah, um, so our company is called Kizomba Harmony, K-I-Z-O-M-B-A, space Harmony. And we're on all the platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all under Kizomba Harmony, no spaces. Uh, well, space on Facebook, but everywhere else is Kizomba Harmony, one word. On our website, uh, KizombaHarmony.com, yeah. and you can see where we teach. We also uh, we created um, the first, um, one of the first Kizomba instructional apps. Yeah. yeah, so if you want to learn from us and learn about learn Kizomba, uh, from your phone, that is definitely an option as well. Yeah, we organize events, one called Kizoma Harmony African Dance Experience, which is in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. And you can find that all from our Facebook and our website. Uh, and we also have a competition and festival in, here in Houston in June called Best All-Around Dancer Competition. All this information can be found. You can go to our website or go to our Facebook you can shoot us a message or an email, kizomaharmony at gmail.com. We'll answer whatever questions you have. But that's probably just easier to go to our website and look us up on Facebook. And then from there, you can just message us and we'll, 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 you know, we'll hit you with all the information you could ever want about what we do. But yeah, we, you know, we invite everyone to come and try Kizomba. The first class of the month, Wednesday class, is free for newbies. And whether you have two left feet or you don't have a partner, anyone can learn to dance. And we've come from, as one of our mentors would say, we've come from far. We've been bad dancers before, so we know how to train, how to train retrain, fix, and help you avoid all the pitfalls that we fell all the way into when we were trying to learn. So as long as you're willing to invest your time and resources into learning, we can help you become as good as you want to be. So anyone who's interested in learning to dance and Kizomba, learning to dance Kizomba will make you better at any other partner dance as well, especially the way we teach it with our pedagogy. We focus on connection and body movement and lead and follow skills. So you'll be able to not only dance other dances better, but you'll probably find that your posture and the way you interact with the ground and move in general will become much better because movement quality is the main focus of our pedagogy. So yeah, anybody who wants to learn, we can teach you. And yeah, we, we look forward to meeting you. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we will catch you on another episode of On Air With. Thanks, Billy and Monica, for calling in. And for everyone else out there, don't be afraid to tell your story. We'll catch you next episode. Mm -hmm.